So hi, everyone. I'm here with uh, Matt Campion, who's the director of uh, Campion Pickworth, and they're a credit risk um, uh, recruiting uh, consultancy. Um, so Matt, welcome. Thanks very, thanks very much for joining me today. It's uh, great to have you here. Hi, Chris. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Good stuff. So, so I think first off, I mean, we wanted to ch chat a bit about the, I suppose, the recruitment market and what's been happening. And it'd be good to get your sort of first off a bit of an impression around what's happened since since lockdown or what's happened over the last year. I mean, it's a big, been a big change for everyone. Uh, and we're just good to sort of get get your view, really. I think recruitment um, has continued. I think at, at the first during the first lockdown, it did stall quite considerably. So from March to June, I think was a particularly tough time out there. Since then, recruitment has uh, has, has continued with with different challenges. I mean, there's been some positives in terms of candidates being more available to interview. Um, I think the video interviewing um, processes have gone really well as well. Um, and I think there has been key areas um, of recruitment that have been ongoing. Um, so, so obviously the the, the um, bounce back loans and C bills have driven some recruitment um, there. There's also been other other areas of recruitment that's been driven on the regulatory side. So whether mm. that be ongoing eyeball programs, um, eye pair programs, or other other elements where regulatory deadlines are, are, are coming up and, and ones that haven't been pushed back. So do you th are you seeing sort of like a change where sort of people are now staff staffing up or, you know, thinking about risk and terms of like what's going to happen when we all go back? Or is it, is it, is, is there been a subtle change into like, like there's now more investments available or is there a change into like types of people that are now being looked at sort of think, just thinking ahead really? I mean, there, there was a lot of work initially around operational risk and around mm. the, work, the challenges of working from home from an operational risk perspective. Right. And obviously, there's been a lot of work around people planning go back to work. And it's, I think what's interesting is that different banks have a very different view of, um, of return to work. So some are being much more cautious where they're saying they're not going back into the office. Some are, are much keener to get back. And that dynamic will be interesting around when banks return. And obviously the, the benefits of being in the office, some, some, some organisations see that. Um, more clearly than others. Obviously, the, the real estate piece, given the cost of real estate in central London and how banks are organised, organising themselves. So we've had major banks like HSBC and Lloyds announcing that they're going to reduce their their office locations and office size. Yeah. I think that trend is going to continue what other banks like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs have come out and said, no, we're very much going to return to normal with 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 people in the office um, most of the time. Yeah. I suppose how's that work with remote interviewing? So so obviously we've been in we've been sort of like really remote. Most of us have been remote over the last what twelve months or so. Um, I mean everyone's got used to remote interviewing, but is that is that sort of indicative? Like, is it going to be a problem when people then go back into the office for those that have been remote and then then have to go back in the office? I mean, what's 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 your kind of view on that? I mean, how banks approach that? I think I think remote interviewing has been brilliant. I, I think we've seen we've seen potentially people having slightly more steps, so doing mm. slightly more interviews to make sure they're comfortable with the person hiring. But the onboarding process has been very has run very smoothly in terms of interviews, yeah. career laptops to people join, joining that. I think the challenge to get to know new team members in where you're only on video calls. I think that 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 will be refreshing as people return to work. I guess the challenge might be on the candidate side in terms of going into the office and that that challenge when people are potentially going at different paces and different returns to office office yeah. but I think most speaking to most hiring managers they're happy with with video interviews are, are perfectly sufficient for them to make adequate hiring decisions 
And so do you think some of them are, are happy with the remote work or I mean, how much pressure is there on to go to go back in the office? So you said this, it feels like it's kind of getting divided, right, between people who seem like they're quite happy sort of doing the remote work and it's actually quite productive in some ways. Whereas other ones would say, well, look, we missed the social kind of constant, the social kind of contact as a result of that. And that's missing something from our business model. Yeah, well, I think I think it's on an individual level as well. So people that that, that miss having that pint after work and that social yeah. interaction or that coffee, that coffee or that lunch with lunch with work colleagues as well. There's that aspect, and other people who potentially have longer commutes or they have a young family who potentially are seeing more of the benefits of working from home and and that and that drive. So it will be, I think. It's an interesting split because I think a lot of young people value that social side. A lot of people with families tend to be slightly older. They're valuing that. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see who who are the beneficiaries. And talking from a recruitment perspective, it'll be interesting to see where where banks that offer more flexibility to hire people to, for remote working can benefit of of offering that flexibility. And we mm. we saw that before the pandemic, where 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 organisations that were more proactive on flexible working people value that and it motivates obviously money is one driver but the flexible working actually really motivates people to move because they see friends who have that flexibility and they want that themselves i think we could see that drive um drive candidates to new to new to new employees yeah it does feel like during during the last 12 months during lockdown there's been a lot of sort of press and attention around flexible working remote working it's almost like it's building up a real sort of head of steam uh, and it kind of felt like the last sort of month or so they start to see that sort of like well it's going to be valuable going back in the office sort of sort of bleeding back in a little bit sort of into into the conversation and you can feel like there's going to be a bit of a tug of war um, and I suppose it's just you know how much how much will that benefit really I suppose drive the flexibility really be a benefit in terms of attracting candidates versus not I suppose that's the that's the big outstanding question I would think yeah yeah and and it was driving it before before lockdown the flexible working and and you look yeah. at you look at the big banks and particularly the consultancies um trying to change their image uh, the image of a consultancy of long hours not being flexible and not yeah. having that flexibility uh, the big four and others have really driven that that cultural shift to to offer make it easier for people returning to work making it easier for 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 um diversity reasons as well in terms of uh, of offering that flexibility so they can attract well, the key is getting the best possible talent and if that's through offering flexible working then that's obviously a clear benefit mm. um on that and and when you chat with consultancies um so i mean there's a huge advantage you know to be able to jump on a video call and sort of deal with things sort of straight away rather than getting on a plane and flying to a different country or you know wherever it is and there's that sort of immediacy which sort of you know does that are they are they seeing benefits from that versus I suppose going back to the old ways of doing things. I mean, is it going to be how's how's it going to sort of play out? Is it a hybrid model? Do you think? I, I think so. I think they they missed the opportunity to sell more though. If you talk to mm. their senior leadership team at consultancies, that informal coffee on, on on the client site, or the opportunity to see the bigger picture and say, oh well, this there's this opportunity coming up or that opportunity coming up, mm. and having that ability um, to be able to to upsell and and, and grow the business. Um, is is probably um, prohibited by lockdown, um, mm. but I, I think in terms of adding that flexibility to be able to not travel, um, particularly for for I guess the more global consultancies, mm. so your McKinsey's, your Oliver Wyman's, your BCG's, who have a very much a European or global model, um, and even the big four have a very much a European model as well. 
Yeah, it's it's that it's that ad hoc conversation where you you get to find out about the other person, and that's how you sort of build friendships in a way, or relationships at least anyway. Um, that's the, that's the piece that's almost like missing as much as the actual getting the work done. Um, it almost feels like I suppose the two of them cross over at some point. Yeah, and particularly I think when you're in stressful projects with delivery deadlines upcoming, and you need that personal relationships to be successful as well yeah. um, during those stressful times. <laughs> We just we talk a little bit there around sort of I suppose international travel and those kind of things and Brexit's been a big thing that's I suppose that's been in the news over the last what six nine months with um, uh, with the end of the transition period at least in the UK. Um, how do you think that's going to impact recruiting? And you know some of the conversations I've had, there's been a lot of talk around sort of you know global recruiting models, people being working from from anywhere. Certainly we can do that with anywhere in the UK within lockdown. Um, but but how do you think it's going to impact us going forward? So I think I think there's two different questions there. So the first question around Brexit and in terms of the points-based system that the government are implementing. So we have um, so now it's it's the same to put to hire an Italian as it, as it is someone from India or or um, or someone from Spain to someone from South America. So we could mm. see much more global recruitment where particularly. Obviously, South Indians um, or South Asians, sorry, produce a lot of STEM, um, are very strong in STEM, their academic is STEM focused and they produce a lot of STEM graduates, which are, which are much desired in the UK. And mm. particularly, we see a lot of offshore um, locations in, in, in India as well. So these candidates have big banking experience and relevant risk experience and, and they have a desire to relocate to the UK. And it's much mm. easier to, to hire, will be much easier to hire these candidates. Um, the labour market residency test has been scrapped, which um, which means you have to advertise the role for 28 days, which is called a delay in the process, which is quite frustrating. With that being scrapped, that's another benefit. Mm. And also the ICT, so the intercompany transfer um, calling off period has been scrapped, which was a 12 month calling off period. So if if someone came, a Deloitte employee, say, came from Deloitte, India to London, they couldn't um, apply for a tier two visa for that to go back back out of the UK for 12 months before they could apply for a tier two visa. That has been mm. been scrapped now. So we, I think we're going to see um, much more of a global um, recruitment strategy, particularly mm. for the high in demand skills. So, so, so risk modelers and analytical people always seem to be in demand. So I think we're going to see a much more global approach to that. Um, in answer to your second question, which is more around remote working and potentially the opportunity to for, for people, people either on an individual level to, to locate themselves outside the UK or more on a um, or more companies looking to nearshore or offshore. So on an individual level, I think the challenges are, are still around the right to work status. So I think mm -hmm. companies will not apply to recruit someone for a UK job unless they have the right to work in the UK. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they can offer more flexibility in terms of location, but they need to have the right to work in the UK. So that could be one key stumbling block in terms of that dynamic and also the uncertainty as we've of returning to work how much that person needs to be in the office and whether as we return back to the office whether that 100% remote working will slowly die away to 80% to 70% and then it becomes less viable to be based in South Africa or or Poland or wherever else globally that that person wishes to be based so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out mm. but I think on on a more strategic level, so looking at, at, at how, how banks organise themselves at, from the top down, 
I think this is this has taught banks that they can have much more global delivery models, which they which mm. we see obviously has been a trend for a long time in terms of that that offshoring and that nearshoring process. And I expect that to expand a so if you look at HSBC Birmingham, you look at you look at RBS recruiting in, in, in Edinburgh rather than London, that that growth of, of nearshore centres or BNP Paribas, I've got a big nearshore centre in, in, in Portugal as well in Lisbon. And I think we're going to I think due to cost savings, we could see a drive in that and that that ability to to, to recruit globally. But these but these banks need to in order to have those offshore capabilities have to have to be able to to, there's a there's a there's a level of investment to, to get them off the ground and whether we see more smaller organizations doing that will be interesting i know mm. one savings bank for example have an offshore center in india whether we see some of the other challenger banks moving more in that direction as well from a risk perspective will be interesting to see the remote working has sort of opened people's eyes to getting access to a much larger um uh, skills pool really i mean you can you can you can pick the best from you know you mentioned stem skills you can pick the best from from, from really around the world and i suppose it's just you know it's just you know is are the, is the grease in the wheels to be able to to get those skills to move around and how much that is going to be how much how flexible that's going to be going forward i think is is, is going to be interesting isn't it it's just there's an overmatch between sort of I suppose the legal requirements um and the uh, the national requirements versus really i suppose like a global skills based piece because technologically wise we can we can talk with anyone pretty much anywhere now which is interesting yeah, I think that's a question for HR professionals to answer in terms of how mm. adaptable and flexible they can be. I mean, given mm. I think that feeds into IR35 as well, in mm. terms of changing regulation coming up, we've seen a drive for some contractors to wish to work in Europe. So mm. taking taking roles in either Amsterdam or Ireland or or, mm. or, or Paris to escape the IR35 regulation, whether mm. we see that trend continuing and banks deciding to have contractor roles based in Europe to, to attract contractors, particularly where you've got gl global banks where they have multi-centres to be able to, to, to do the work anywhere and avoid mm. that IR35 regulation. Mm. It'll be interesting to see whether that, that that's a trend post, post the 6th yeah. of April. So, so just going back to uh, remote hiring uh, and uh, and remote interviews. I mean, what what you got any tips for what works well with candidates versus 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 not? I mean, what's what's your advice, uh, having been through it many times over the last over the last twelve months? I think the most frustrating thing is bad internet. So the mm. feedback we get is make sure you're sat near your router and you've got good internet because there's nothing worse than than someone cutting in and out and you not being interview them properly so i think that is like a, a key frustration that we hear from hiring into hiring managers that we couldn't we couldn't make a decision because the internet was so bad yeah. on their side so i think i think that's key i think another challenge we get more questions about what to wear which i think is quite a difficult question to answer as well um obviously people being slightly less smart i'd obviously recommend to be as wear, wear, wear a shirt to an interview but that's another challenge in terms of particularly if you're interviewing at a fintech or or, or, or different organizations have different cultures as well yeah. so i think there's, there's that challenge um as as well um, but in terms of the, the 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 process and being able to to build rapport over video and understand the role, I, I, I we haven't seen too many challenges around that. Yeah, I think we all got used to it uh, quite a bit in terms of like just interacting with people over video screens. Um, and, and I know we were chatting before a little bit about is is there almost like going to be a generational divide? And so I, I almost feel like I'm probably on the wrong side of it now, on the older side of it in terms of like we got we got 
we're growing up now almost like having these video video calls um and some some of the some of the younger folks are, it's just going to be native right so just like um you know just like it was with pre-computers versus post-computers or pre-mobile phones cell phones versus 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 post them or smartphones i mean do you think we're going to see something with that because we just got so used to so many of us just got so used to doing everything on video and it's almost like is that become for some of us for some of the generate or like the younger generation does that become a go-to to be able to they're much more comfortable than say you know uh, older older folks maybe maybe like myself um who are who may who maybe prefer the face-to-face -face interactions so yeah i'm, pro I'm probably the, on the older side as well so in terms of that i'm not sure how capable i am of answering that question because i always prefer the personal interaction i'd really rather go and meet someone for a coffee than do a video interview and i think or video meeting i think you get you get much more from that that personal personal meeting but maybe the younger generation don't feel that but i think in terms of that informality and that kind of that you get particularly particularly where you have a group meeting there's no mm. chance to break out or you, people don't choose to break out and go into that in when they're at big meetings well if you go into a conference room and you have a meeting you'll grab someone at the end for five minutes to have a chat that that dynamic goes away with video calls and i think that i think i think that's cross-generational yeah. obviously the younger generation are used to other ways of interacting but i think that's cross-generational that ability i think is is key to for someone's career to get to know people in different departments build your profile across the organization if you want to progress you need that you need to know people then know you and that kind of interaction helps you progress internally within your organization mm -hmm. i think that element of face-to-face -face meeting is, is is vital to that yeah what, what do you think the trends are going to be sort of going forward though in terms of in terms of hiring and what kind of skill sets are you seeing sort of like people people need now they're looking for now I mean, the, the, the IRB repair program um, that, that is, is there's major, major projects um, within mm. that. And it's it's regulatory led. Obviously, we've seen um, sort of IRB again. We've seen a lot of the challenger banks with the changes in rules. Um, a lot of the challenger banks are, are moving down that IRB, IRB journey. Um, we've seen, obviously, the, the, the PRA talk about operational resilience and mm. having a more customer focused aspect rather than internal looking focused on operational resilience, but customer focused on operational resilience so we've seen a lot of uh, that that branch away from operational risk resist to operational risk to be in its own right operational mm. resilience and i i guess that the, the the largest one is climate change risk so mm. we have seen obviously with the with the pra inviting um the big seven banks to um to involve that in their stress test this year mm, we've yeah. seen the talk around climate change um analytics and how that's done particularly on a granular level that, that having the data to be able to do climate change risk properly and how banks do that i think there's a that i think that market is very very immature whether they can learn from asset managers um, who've obviously been been more advanced in terms of that esg journey or or learn from from industry so from mm. from gas providers in terms of their work or insurers as well have done a lot of modeling and they have a lot of capability on the modeling side um, within this so i think that esg space and i think that could be then almost the next branch of, of risk management and break out mm. on its own to have dedicated climate risk ch change teams. And obviously, then, if it's involved in the stress test, they need to validate those models. There's a whole process that needs to go around that climate change risk and embedding it as a potential risk for the organization. And given Biden's win in the US, 
Johnson in, in, in London, climate change is, is, is high on the political agenda. It's been on PRA's agenda for a while as well. Mm. I imagine that to drive through. It's on EU's agenda as well. So I think there's going to be a lot of increased regulation and, uh, and, and, and banks, banks want to do this as well. They want to help. They want to help um, the environment and, and seem to be helping the environment. So I think that that element will, will continue to grow. How much do you think the the, the COVID pandemic um, has really sort of accelerated, particularly operational risk? So you talked a bit about resilience. Um, and if you sort of go back five years, I mean, we knew that there was potential to have a pandemic. Um, I'm not sure that any of us foresaw it being quite to the extent that, that we've seen. Um, do you, but do you think it's outside of what's happened over the last 12 months, do you think it's really raised that whole um, topic around resilience and operational risk? And it's just sort of, I mean, the guys who do it have been talking about it for a while. You know, we, we know that. But it's just just think it's raised the public consciousness in terms of like making sure that people are prepared. Have you seen a change as a result of it? I think it's hard conceptually when something's a one in a thousand years, one in a hundred years, one in 200 years. Conceptually, it's very easy to dismiss those risks and say they're not going to happen mm. on my watch or they're not going to happen. Maybe we see a change where we need to actually think these are going to happen and plan accordingly. Um, I, I think I think banks have reacted well to the challenge in terms mm. of that. If you look at uh, operationally, I'm talking about in terms of we haven't seen any breakdowns in service or customers affected or customer mm. impact. We had the challenges around payment holidays and administrative perspective I think that was difficult for banks but I think they've overcome that hurdle as well so I, I think in terms of from an operational point of view banks have actually performed quite well the migration to home for people working from home and and and, and the changes in, in operational changes there have actually if you speak to people have gone quite well so I think operationally we've reacted badly and then if you look at it from from an operational risk loss point of view I think most of the losses are likely to be on on the credit side but we've had a lot of government support around that obviously um, um, if you look at the um, expected credit losses um, RFS 9 losses have, have skyrocketed if you look at the bank's recent results um, mm -hmm. a lot of them have, have forecast larger that and I think it's been a real test for RFS 9 um, modeling in terms of feeding this in and and how you deal with 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 a huge downturn and and what those losses are going to look like and that 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 I think that has a lot there's a lot of work to be done there on the analytical side of mm. how conservative you need to be and it's been a real test for IFRS nine and the forward looking nature of of, of credit risk modelling there yeah and I suppose the test will be what happens over the next nine months to see I suppose the accuracy of the models and uh, which approaches works best and that'd be quite it'd be quite interesting to see how how that sort of plays out to a certain extent um you would you would think that most of them have probably been a little bit on the conservative side you you, you would kind of hope but um um but i mean the nuances will be in the detail and it's it's ever evolving isn't it yeah exactly and 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 we don't know where and and also we haven't seen when the government withdraws support then we could we could foresee higher mm -hmm. credit losses and that feeding in so it'll be interesting to see how how that does how that does play out so it's top tips for the future um particularly particularly for businesses in terms of getting the right skills in um but then but then also for candidates uh just what 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 are things that are uh, that they should they should be thinking about now do you think if you if you have put your crystal ball hat on i suppose if there's such a thing well, um, I think in, uh, that's a difficult question to answer because I think everyone, everyone, um, every candidate is different and where they want to go. But I, I would say the advice that you've got to give give to can 
candidates and, 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 and what they need to think about is where they want to be. I think this this gives an opportunity for people to step back and look at their career and say, this is where I want to be in two to three years time. This is the work life balance I want. These are the skills I need to get or or this is the area I want to move into. I think an internal move is always easier than an external move. So in looking to, to if you're looking to go into a new area, look at that internal and build relationship with the team you want to go into and looking mm. to upskill in that. I think data analytics and that kind of automation, RPA, data analytic element is only going to keep growing. So if you have analytical skills or you're analytically minded, grow those skills, enhance them, embrace them, take analytical roles. Because I think in the long term, it may be a harder role to get, a harder and and and, and a harder role in general, but it, that will pay off in the long term because you'll have mm. the, that analytical background to then go into either a wider role. And and I and I would encourage candidates always to have, have breadth in their career in terms of what they covered. If you if you if you just go up a very narrow path, I think you're you're more likely to hit a glass ceiling. While if you mm. if you cover broader risks, different roles across model build, model validation, or wider risk types, it gives you the opportunity to then grow to more senior roles as well. So, so Matt, it's been really great to chat with you. Uh, I really appreciate the insight and uh, and just hearing about some of the developments that that you think are coming up. It's been a fascinating uh, it's been a fascinating sort of twelve months. I think um you know the the future is going to be kind of interesting the next few months as well as as well. I think so. Uh, um so so yeah so so thanks very much. Yeah, pleasure and yeah thanks thanks a lot, Chris. I, I, I enjoyed it and it's going to be a very interesting next twelve months of where we go next. Yeah.